As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Welcome to On Farm. I'm Anna Davis. Perhaps sounding a little bit more sombre than usual because we're just about to have a really quite serious episode. Because this time we are focusing on farm safety and how we can all make an effort to cut out farm deaths in an episode that is supported by the Scottish Rural Network. We will hear soon from Stephanie Barclay from the Farm Safety Foundation, James Chapman who lost his arm in an accident with an unguarded PTO shaft, and George Noble from SAOS, who will tell us about how technology is helping to tackle some of the farm safety issues that we face. Also, our producer, Dave Howard, whose voice you don't often hear, but you will have heard him before, has been visiting one farmer who had a very lucky escape. So you look at that sort of square metre of grass in your field here and think, what could have happened? Yeah, that could have been my final resting place where my body met the earth. That's, it's pretty brutal to say, but that could have been lights out. But there you go, it wasn't it, then I was lucky. We'll hear the full story shortly, but now it's time to bring you the first of our guests. My name is Stephanie Barclay and I'm the manager of the Farm Safety Foundation, which is a small registered charity that looks after the physical and mental well-being of the next generation of farmers throughout the UK. Stephanie, can you tell us, um, perhaps using some statistics, because I know you'll have many, why it is so important that we're here now telling all of our listeners the importance of farm safety and and taking care of yourself when on farm? Yeah, well, farming basically accounts for 1% of the UK's working population. But unfortunately, it actually represents 20% of all workplace deaths. Farming is 18 times more dangerous than the oil industry average. You know, we lose far too many farmers every year, farmers, farm workers, every single year due to the same reasons that we've lost them for the last 60 years. So over the period of time, the industry has shrunk, but the number of people losing their lives on farms has just remained constant. And it's just something we need to be aware of. It is horrifying, particularly when you hear those stark figures. Um, Now, most, not all, but most of our listeners are based in Scotland. How does Scotland fare in comparison with other parts of the UK in terms of its safety record? Well, okay. so last year, according to the Health and Safety Executive, their agricultural report that they released to us for Farm Safety Week, there were 21 people that died on um, farms in GB. In Scotland, there were two. That's still too, too many, you know. But if we're talking about this year, over the last year, um, actually the figures have doubled. So we're probably, it's likely to be about four um, farm workers in Scotland that will have lost their lives as a result of going to work and not coming home. And 
The reasons why those uh, farmers lost their lives, I mean, so far this year, two have been as a result of overturned vehicles. One has been as a result of um, coming into contact with cattle and one was struck by an object. But when we talk about stats, it's not really stats. These are people. These are farmers. They're farming families. There's communities that are affected by, you know, an accident. So each and every death is one death too many. And that's why I'm delighted that, you know, we're finally getting around to talking about it because there's a lot more awareness, but still there's just not enough action happening. Yes, definitely. Uh, um, and I, I will come back because I'd love to talk to you more about awareness and more about what has been done to improve the situation and obviously what needs to be done. Um, now, you're, you're quite right. This is this statistics is just the wrong word in many ways, because these are people's lives and, and one death is one death too many. We're also joined by James Chapman. Now, now James, I know that you suffered a very serious accident on farm and it'd be very grateful if you could tell us a bit more about it in a minute but I'm wondering though do you consider yourself to be one of the lucky ones because you're still here talking to us and the people Stephanie's been talking about are are not so how do you kind of reconcile all of that in your mind? Hi yeah uh, I'm James Chapman uh, and I'm a a farm manager um, uh, on a small arable farm in Warwickshire uh, and in 2005, uh, yeah, I lost my left arm uh, in a PTO shaft. Uh, my clothes got entangled in a in a partially guarded shaft. What seemed like minutes took probably half a second for me to lose my left arm completely, and all the uh, horrificness that followed after that. I am the lucky one. Uh, yeah, definitely, I'm here to tell the story. The HSE when they came to uh, talk to me. Uh, about the accident you know after I'd come out of hospital um, and and we were having a chat and he said I usually have to cut the bodies off the PTO shafts but luckily I only had to cut your clothes off that really did hit home a little bit I don't know uh, what it was that day that that stopped me from completely losing it but um, yeah I'm still here and and um, and using my story to to help others learn from my mistakes and you have been I mean um you're doing a fantastic job to to spread the word now now I know in a sense you are one of the lucky ones because you're still here but your accident must have completely changed your life and and a period of adjustment doesn't even cover it I don't imagine you know how how has life changed for you since the accident um the easy bits are you know I can't tie my shoelaces anymore and I struggled to to butter bread um, and anything with an and in it, so a hammer and nails or uh, things like that are are um, challenging to say the least. Uh, they're the physical things, I suppose. I suffer with uh, with backache. Um, I have pins and needles in my in my right arm through overuse. Um, I have a bad a bad ankle and a bad knee due to the fact that I don't walk uh, properly anymore because I, I lost that swing. Um, when, when it first happened, um, I, I don't like needles. So, uh, so having to, uh, go through operations, losing your arm, uh, that was, that was a bit of a shock. Um, first time in hospital, uh, not the best way to go, but then it's what it did to everybody else around me. Like, uh, my dad, bless him. Um, you know, I'm the eldest of four sons. I was, I was quite key to, to the, the business at home. Uh, and he sort of 
no longer asked for my help or, or anything like that. He sort of almost, you know, not, not on purpose, but almost treated me as if I, if I was dead, um, which was tough. Mum, mum's struggle, don't they, when you fall over and graze your knee. So, uh, so ripping your arm off is not a good uh, phone call to have either. And then, my, and then my brothers, not all of them, but certainly one of them who was about 14 at the time, he um, he took it really badly. He's quite a sensitive soul, bless him. Uh, and he um, he ended up having to have counselling at school because uh, of what happened to me. And that that cuts me up, you know, more than more than anything. Um, the uh, girl I was with at the time, you know, we, she was ever so supportive, brilliant, but it it just didn't work out because you know things had changed. I couldn't. As she said, I couldn't hug her the same as I used to anymore. Um, things like that, not in a nasty way at all, but, you know, it does just change everything. And I am the lucky one because I, you know, it, it was my left arm. I, I, I can still write my name. Um, strangely, it still feels like it's there, so I don't feel any different. It's only when I look at a picture of myself and think, who's that good-looking chap with one arm? Um, so... <laughs> It, it it changes everything in 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 many ways, but yeah, I have been lucky, and I am still here, and and um, it could have been a lot worse. Yes, absolutely. Um, wow, cause that's such a powerful story. It really is. Um, it kind of brings you to tears, and and I'm just so impressed with your attitude. I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal, and I kind of feel as though you know you could go one of two ways. You could either spiral into a life of self-pity or you could take the bull by the horns and become determined to change things. And you have obviously fallen into that latter camp. And I suppose I'm just wondering a little bit about your kind of own psychology and how you feel as though you were able to get yourself into that that latter camp and and use your experience as you do to, to help other people. Yeah, I had an awful lot of support very, very early on from my friends and young farmers. It was, you know, absolutely immense. I had, they had to have a rotor for how many people would come and see me in hospital because you could only allow three to the bed and, and, and bless them, they stretched it. And, you know, there was cow muck at the bottom of the bed and all sorts where people had brought their, just come straight from work in their boots. And then they raised money for me. And I don't know, just, I've never felt so much, Love, I suppose. No, never felt that that kind of feeling before. Um, and, and then I literally had nothing else to do, and so I threw myself at young farmers. I was very, very fortunate. Never said no to anything, and 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 went through the the whole um, the whole organisation right to the top. And and I was very fortunate to be national chairman of young farmers. But you know, there was there was some dark times. You know, sitting on the on the settee on a February morning watching Jeremy Kyle doesn't do your, your mental health much good. And, you know, and I did sit there, you know, on more than one occasion and, and just thought, you know, I could just get the shotgun out and, and sort of end it. And it was just a real funk that I was in. And then once again, you know, the, the support from my friends, I didn't have to tell them that they just sort of knew and dragged me out and, and forced me to socialize again and, and treated me normally. I, you know, I still remember to the day when, a friend of mine said, oh, are you still talking about that arm? You know, get over it. And this was this was probably only sort of eight months after it. So um, my friends have played a massive role in it. And, and I always said I'd do anything I could to, to try and, and 
pay them back, pay pay the industry back, maybe. Pay, I don't know. Um, I I do like the sound of my own voice, to be honest. So it's uh, it's not always a chore. <laughs> well, we are liking the sound of your voice at the moment. I can tell you because. Um, what we will never know, what nobody will ever know, is how many lives you have saved because of the way that you're raising awareness of, of farm safety in general. And I think it's phenomenal. Um, Stephanie, how, as I said, we, we don't know how many lives James has managed to save through his awareness raising. But how grateful are you to him and others like him who are telling their stories in order to raise awareness and get people to really understand the dangers on, on farms? Yeah, I mean, when we started, when we started the charity back in 2014, one of my main goals was to get Jim Chapman on side. So um, like an Irish terrier that I am, I tortured him. I trailed him to colleges right across the UK. We even had, we had a pact that um, we would see how many we could make faint (laughs) when he told his story. And actually, we had a bunch of students in Northern Ireland that were on day two, having registered to do their um, agricultural um, science or whatever the, the course was at the time. I think we had, did we have three fainters in the one session? It was not graphic. He was just telling the story, but have somebody stand there with the passion, sincerity, warmth and engaging, you know, personality that Jim has to tell this story, they started to go into a place themselves where they were imagining it. And it just was so overwhelming for these kids to listen to that story. So you know that there was, and the satisfaction that Jim basically got out of the fact that we were having to almost carry these kids out of the room, you know, was a bit weird, but actually it it was fantastic. But it's, but that's what this is about. It's about, real relatable stories it's about Jim's story it's about the fact and and he says he's the lucky one we're the lucky one to have him he's on our board of trustees now so he works absolutely hand in hand with you know the the charity in everything that we do in our campaigns in our education program that we've actually now delivered to 14,000 young farmers across the UK over the last few years so we're in there and like COVID hasn't stopped us because we're doing our training virtually because we're using VR. We've actually created a virtual farmyard. We use the Oculus Go for the the students so we can deliver those messages right into their very, very personally into their own sped space. So we've also created e-learning and blended learning to basically to get those stories there in a way that students don't get bored and switched off by health and safety that it's not like god this is this is eye-rolling stuff you know but it's creating those messages to um, a generation of farmers that they understand that this is something they're going to have to do for the next 40 50 years of their lives so do it right you know yeah absolutely absolutely um george and i am going to come to you i'm just going to flick my screen so that i can see you as well um I wonder if you could talk to us, first of all, just in general terms about how that that huge word technology um, has the potential to make uh, farm safety or farms safer, I should say. Yeah, 
In, indeed. Well, thank you. Um, my name's George Noble. I work for SAOS. Um, for those who listen to the podcast frequently, they'll probably know who we are, but we're the organisation responsible for uh, supporting the develop- development of rural and agricultural co-ops in Scotland. And I, have a, I can sort of wear two hats. Um, so I also look after a spin-out co-op that we're developing uh, called Smart Rural, uh, which is looking to deploy smart sensor technology on farms uh, across rural Scotland. Uh, and I think, I, I suppose before we start, I think that technology can only augment and support, you know, the, the, the really good education messages that are being, being, being pushed. It's not a, not a panacea and it never will be. But I think there is some interesting, uh, you know, developments, case studies, uh, and technologies coming to bear that I think can be used to help improve uh, farm safety. So, for example, you know, when we were looking to, to launch Smart Rural, for example, you know, we've got you know, sensors that you know, to, you know, measure rainfall, uh, detect soil moisture. And we thought when we did a, our initial survey that you know, these would be the things that would be of most interest to farmers, things that had an economic benefit. But interestingly, um, when we did the survey, the results actually showed it was some of the non-economic factors that were of most interest to farmers when it came to the deployment of technology. And it was actually lone worker safety came number one in the list. Your concern for the welfare of uh, workers, uh, be they uh, very often family or, uh, uh, you know, it could be children uh, going about in farm. You know, how can we use smart devices to make, um, you know, the farm environment safe, uh, safer? Um, so over the course of the past few years, um, you know, we've been looking to, to test and deploy these technologies on farm. And we've been playing about with a couple of really interesting um, solutions that we think, you know, has the potential to, to sort of make uh, farming safer. Very intriguing. Now, I don't know how much of this is top secret um, James Dyson type uh, technology and inventions, but um, can you give us a couple examples of what's happening and how they might help? Yeah, I mean, I mean looking at the, the, the lone worker safety uh, issue, uh, over the past year and a half, we've been working with three, we're calling them digital farms in Scotland to try and test out a range of different sensor technologies. And one of the ones that we've been testing and has really proven quite popular among the farmers who are testing it is lone worker safety buttons. So we use a technology called LoRaWAN, which allows you to uh, connect devices, typically in areas that might struggle for cell phone coverage or which, you know, giving a mobile phone to a worker is maybe not cost effective or suitable. So we effectively have a, a number of small push button devices you can stick on a lanyard, you would give to your farm workers in the morning uh, when they go about their business. And you know, these devices actually have a GPS um, chipset within them. So you can know where that particular worker is. And if they happen to get in distress, they will push a button on the device. It will send a signal across the network that then connects to an alarm response center where a human being will you know, receive that alert. Just similar to if your home alarm goes off, for example, and it connects to an alarm response center. They will go down a list of respondees that the, the farmer has preset 
uh, and they, they will get called by the alarm response center with a GPS coordinate of where that um, person might be. So the, they are then able to instigate a, a response and, and you know, see to the casualty in short order. That's very interesting. And I'd like to talk a bit more about technology later. But um, you got me thinking because I think before today, I was wondering how or if technology could help livestock farmers because you know a dangerous mother with a calf at foot is a dangerous mother with a calf at foot regardless of you know what apps you've got on your mobile phone but actually we're just about to hear a story from a farmer who had a very close shave with with livestock and the lanyards that you talk about um would have been so valuable to him it's just got me thinking that actually that you know this technology is applicable across so many different potential dangerous situations. So we'll maybe just hear his story and then uh, continue our conversation after that, if that's okay. I'm Willie Harper in the farm here at Greyfriars Farm in Renfrewshire, in between the villages of Bridgeweir and Houston. Um, we have uh, a suckler cow herd, uh, fattening most of the progeny on farm, a sheep enterprise, and we do a bit of arbo as well, mainly for cattle feed. It was this time, two years ago actually, it was May time, uh, I think, uh, you know, we just just died off of the, the calving, but there's still two or three calving every day, and, um, you know, we are busy with other jobs, um, in fact, that day I was spraying, in fact, that night I was spraying weeds and dockings and grassland, and um, actually damaged the sprayer and the fence line, probably most farmers will identify with the frustration of being trying to get finished a job uh, and uh, ended up uh, a bit that was broken and so I wasn't feeling great but I thought well at least I'll go and get this one of these calves tagged that was born during the day of course you're tired and weary, just want to get finished it's half nine at night, I don't think even think I'd had my dinner jumped to, into the pickup with the tagging gear uh, in it identified the calf I want the mother was grazing next to it um, I remember jumping out the pickup and thinking she show, doesn't seem to be showing any interest in me, the mother that is, and I just managed to get a hold of the calf, just about to stick the first tag in its ear when I found myself uh, knocked to the ground, and me and the calf, because the calf was just born that day, it, it didn't get up and run away, it was just lying beside me, which I think made it a whole lot worse because if the calf had get up and moved away the mother would have left me but she didn't she stood there and uh, gave me a right good old doing with her head <laughs> which is one thing and you know if MD's played rugby or contact sport or done boxing or something like that you, know, you can take a bit of a bit of bruising and that you know it's just you know it's one thing but uh, it was uh, carrying on for quite a bit and I thought well this is they couldn't take much more of this so I decided I'd need to crawl away from the calf and as I started to crawl away the mother stepped forward and she stepped right on the middle of my back because I was face down in the ground so actually that was the final straw that's when I knew I was in a bit of trouble Uh, can you imagine she should probably weigh 750 kilos 800 kilos Uh, so even if it's only a quarter of that weight on your back her spines are not meant to carry that kind of weight so that's when I was in trouble thankfully after that happened the mother moved moved away the calf had got up and they left me but I was scared to move after that because I knew my back I was in real bit of pain Aye. 
that's when I phoned for help. Yeah, I phoned my wife. She came running across the field with the brush from the house. <laughs> it was the first thing that came to hand, you know, as you came out the back door. <laughs> well, we've been hearing about Willie Harper's story, and I'm pleased to say that his wife Mary's joined us now as well. Mary, describe what it was like to get that phone call. Well, kind of awful because he couldn't really speak very well because he was quite winded and I wondered what was going on because it's, well, I don't know, was it about 10 o'clock at night or something? Yeah, half nine or so. Yeah, and it was dark and in my pyjamas. I think, where are you? I just knew he was up the field somewhere. So I came outside, saw the pickup, lights were on up in the field. That's all I could see. And I thought, oh no, there's cows in the field. I better get a brush or something to just fend things off should there be mad animals going about. But ran up through the field and there he was lying prone on his belly in the reeds. And being a physio, I thought, oh my God, what's happened? Don't move. And as we're standing here today, it's 11 o'clock on a weekday morning. There's plenty of activity. There's people going backwards and forwards with low loaders and things farm workers around the place wouldn't have been the case at, at 9.30 at night when you were when you were doing this look at your face you're like I know I know I did yeah, a silly yeah, thing yeah yeah I should have waited till the morning I should have went in and had my dinner got my shower and yeah instead of dragging all my family into the accident emergency ward my wife being a physio has reminded me of that several times and he says you ended up driving him in the back of the pickup truck to A&E well, yeah, it was that time at night. We tried to phone for an ambulance and we, they never answered the call. So we just ended up... Put a couple of jackets over the top of them and just drove them in on the flatbed of the back of the pickup into a &E. They were quite shocked when we arrived. What do you mean your husband, what, he's in the back of the pickup? Yeah. So they all ended up out the hospital, out of the a &E department and in the back of the van and into a spinal board and a drip and an injection for pain and straight through and into you had an MRI yep. everything turned out fine with that and then they were happy to let him go home after a bit We'll leave it there before Willie gets any more embarrassed Willie, Mary, thanks very much indeed to both of you oh, no Great, problem. thanks for coming out Thanks for coming out. I hope, I hope it saves somebody else getting seriously hurt Gosh, yeah, I've heard that before, actually. And yeah, it's still the bit I saw you wince, Stephanie, when he said about the, the, the cow standing on his back. Now, obviously, we're not we're not here to criticise Willie Harper. You know, he knows and he admits that sometimes things can be done differently. But what really stands out to you, Stephanie, from from that story? So in that research, we thought we heard that 80, sorry, 69 percent of the people that we surveyed admitted that tiredness caused them to take a major risk, you know, and that's the thing that we kind of need to be aware. Farmers are tired. They're working hard. They're, they, there's less people able to do the job. So it's absolutely normal for somebody to have six or seven things on the go at the one time, you know, and things that they need to be doing. But actually it is that one risk, unfortunately, you know, and you know, you feel you know the animals and understanding their behaviours and everybody knows you don't get in the way of a newly calved cow. All of those things, but tiredness, unfortunately, means that your ability to take those sort of decisions then gets sort of lessened. So we need to think about how do we let farmers 
know not to continue to rush and not to work when they're tired when we know they have to and they're going to you know so we don't you don't want to preach to people that know exactly what they're doing but also just remind them I mean Willie's story is so powerful because you can imagine that happening and you can see how absolutely it is that one momentary lapse of concentration that can change somebody's life forever yes um scary is really scary stuff um James totally totally different circumstance um that Willie describes to your accident but what what was going through your mind when you were listening to him and his story just just then um although you say it's it's completely different actually it's only really the mechanism of of how we got hurt that was different the main bit of Mm. Something going wrong. My morning wasn't going overly well when my accident happened. Frustration was kicking in, although mine was in the morning, so I wasn't as tired. When things aren't going right, that was, you know, that's when you, you make questionable decisions and your mind gets gets hazy. Unfortunately, it's, it's not um, a unique story, just like mine. It's not unique. And I'm, I'm amazed how calm he is about telling the story you know, it must have been pretty horrific at the time. And yet he's he's still got the courage to, to tell us all about it. I'm interested, though, James, you, you know, you um, have been very heavily involved in the Farm Safety Foundation. Um, so you will have heard a lot of stories like Willie's. And we heard a bit, I'll come back to George in a second. We heard a bit from George about, you know, technology. And, and I'm going to ask him a bit more about sort of what, what the future holds. But have you come across any particular innovations or technological solutions that have impressed you and that you think might be game changers? You know, we know education is the key here, but actually um, innovation and technology can help, as George said. Uh, yeah, of course, it, it, it can help. The problem I find, and, and there are an awful lot of um, things already on the market like um seat sensors on tractors that uh that will stop you doing certain things whilst it's running as farmers though we're quite used to maybe overriding systems and that's the problem it, it you've got to want uh to use the technology to to help um save your life it's no point in just giving it to somebody and, and that's going to solve the problem because it won't um my biggest problem is a lot of the technology, like the lone worker devices, they're absolutely fantastic, they're great, but it's sort of sticking a Band-Aid on it. It's, it's helping people, helping to save a life that, that has already been injured, if you like. The accident's already happened and we're just trying to save someone's life and, and actually the, the easiest way is to, to not have the accident in the first place. Easy, really easy for me to say, really difficult to do, I know. Maybe as more robots take take over the, the human side of it, maybe that is, you know, where the future holds, certainly in arable sector where, where we can, you know, physically take bums off seats and um, and allow the robots to do it. Really interesting point there, actually. Yeah, uh, George, coming back to you for a second. Yeah, I, I, I get what James means, actually, you know, about the Band-Aid. That, that's not to, to devalue the solutions because if the life has been injured we want to save it obviously um but is there anything technology wise that's in the making or or underway that actually helps prevent accidents in the first place you know anything that you think is going to be a a changer here for us um i mean i mean i think 
things like you know increasing automation actually taking humans out of potentially dangerous situations is something that uh, you know is obviously going to happen at some point in the future. You know, we are seeing increasing use of robotics, um, for example, you know, see completely autonomous tractors and robots doing devices that humans might otherwise do. So I think that's probably one of the key areas that's obviously going to come over the horizon. I think I and I absolutely agree that to the point that's being made that you know a lot of what we're doing is a bit of a a sticking plaster, um, and I think if we can prevent those accidents happening the the first instance, that's absolutely key. And I think when it comes to technology as well, so, so I suppose reflecting on the conversation that um, you know when we're dealing with farming, we are dealing with you know a wide age range and an increasingly aging working population if you will and I think when it comes to the deployment of technology that is actually a real challenge because we've got if we are going to deploy technology to improve farm safety or improve responses to accidents we've got to make that as simple as possible for everybody that works in that farm we can't make it complex in any way and I think that's one of the great learnings that we've I suppose assimilated when we would deploying technology in some of these demo farms is that you know, it's almost got to disappear into the, the background. So it, it's not an inconvenience and it becomes absolutely dead simple to use irrespective of whether you're a 17 year old or an 80 year old. Just before we finish up, I'm now talking to the listeners. If you're listening on your tractor or at home and you know that you are a little bit blasé about farm safety, I'm now going to ask James and Stephanie and George in turn if they would give you a piece of advice stephanie if i could perhaps start with you what what would your piece of advice be to somebody who who is admitting that they're not always as careful as they should be um i think my piece of advice would really just be you've got to take safety seriously you know but also this is the thing it's a very personal decision i mean it's your health it's your safety it's your choice people can give you advice people can offer you um, top tips and things like that. But unless you're willing to accept them openly, you know, and be honest with yourself, then, you know, you're really kidding yourself. So for us this year, especially in terms of Farm Safety Week, it's about rethinking risk. So just rethink the risk of every single job that you approach every single time you approach it, because it can change. Complacency kills, but unfortunately, so does farming. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, George, what would your piece of, not even not necessarily advice, just a, a, a thought from today that, that might benefit somebody listening who puts safety perhaps not at the top of their priority list? I mean, I think it's really just a case of building what, what Stephanie said. You know, it is a personal choice. And I think for me, it's a case of before you undertake a knowingly dangerous activity is actually just stopping and pausing for thought because... Uh, you know, accidents do happen very, very quickly and it's easy to be blasé and always assume it's never going to be me because, you know, I've done this this way for my whole life. But, you know, we all know what happens in an, ins- in an instant. And I think it is just taking a little bit of time and just, just pausing and thinking, you know, is this a risk worth taking? Uh, and, you know, if, if, if taking that moment to pause and really thinking about what you're about to do and making a different decision, a safer decision, um, I think that that's the right thing to do. And it's just taking that minute to consider. Yes. And I suppose also, if you're having a bad day, just stop, take a deep breath, 
have a cup of tea before you do the next job because as Willie Harper said it was his stress and combined with his tiredness that he thinks maybe led uh, to his lapse in concentration. Um, so James coming to you last um, you probably got hundreds of bits of advice but um, what's what's the one that you think is most important? The, the stopping and taking time uh, and thinking about what you're doing is obviously the most important. Um, I don't know whether it's advice, but certainly a little bit of a, a thing for me is sometimes farming can could be quite a, a um, not always, but sometimes can be quite a macho kind of job. Um, sometimes we take delight in the fact that we perhaps work in the most dangerous industry uh, in the country, possibly in the world, to put food on people's plates. As a youngster out of college, I was probably one of them. But when I go to the to the pub now for a, a, a nice steak and chips, um, I don't feel very macho when I have to pass my plate over to my wife uh, so that she can cut my steak up. Yeah, wow. Um, I don't know what to say to that, but it's so true. And I think the I think that the way we're going to get through to people is by telling real stories. And your story and Willie Harper's story just stop you in your tracks, really. I think, don't they? And so people have got to listen to this otherwise they're not just the ones that are going to suffer their families and everybody around them are going to suffer we don't your young farmer friends were fantastic but what why we don't want to have to put people through that to see their friends or their family members go through that you know the support is amazing but we don't want to have to get to that place in the first place so um I'm enormously grateful to you, James, in particular, all three of you, but James in particular, you know, your story must be a hard one to tell, even though I'm sure you've told it hundreds of times before now. So I am enormously grateful. And I honestly think you will save a life by by getting through to somebody who's listening. And, and Willie, um, hopefully you're listening at home to this as well. Thank you too for, for telling your story. And I'm glad you're both here to get involved. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, enormous thank you to you, Stephanie, and to you, George, for taking part. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. That was a pleasure. Lovely to meet you all. Again, huge thanks to the Scottish Rural Network for partnering with us on this episode. It's a topic that really needs to get out, and so we are really grateful to them for uh, supporting it and helping us to spread the word. You might never have shared an episode of On Farm with anybody before. You might not have told your friends and family about it, but um, if you're going to, uh, this is one of the episodes that I'd really love if you would share either on social media or just down at the pub, telling your neighbour, getting them to listen, because it might just save a life. So please, please do share it as far and wide as you can with anyone in the industry, because as I say, you could literally be saving a life with every click, every retweet, or every time you recommend somebody to listen. Um, the usual reminder before we go, um, On Farm is made by the team at Seen and Heard Rural PR and Marketing. So if you need a new brand, a new website, media relations, marketing strategy, anything within the communications sphere, um, we are the people to talk to. So just get in touch. And thank you again for listening. And we shall uh, see you again next week.